Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, which might sound like a crazy place to turn during Christmas season, but I'll tell you what, there, there is a method to the madness. And uh, we'll read from verses 8 through 15 here in just a moment. The other day I was reading something about the different generations and I got to thinking about, you know, I I just started thinking about the generations that have followed my generation. I'm Gen X and so, you know, all the generations that have followed me. And, you know, I got to thinking about all the technologies that the, you know, following generations, they just kind of take for granted because these things have always been around. There's never been a time in their lifetime when these technologies have never been around. You know, for example, I was thinking about the fact that for my kids, cell phones have always been a fact of life. Now, I mean, phones weren't always as smart as they are now, but cell phones for my kids is just, I mean, you'd think, well, it's always been around. But uh, uh, they haven't been. And I was thinking about the fact that um, Trish and I got our first cell phones when Kyle well, when she was pregnant with Kyle, actually. It was, so it was before Kyle was born. And so, I mean, for, for Kyle and Kinsey, my kids, and you know, their generation, cell phones have always been around. My kids never had to deal with having a phone mounted on the wall with a long cord connected to a handset and then user, using this rotary thing going you know, and then someone had a nine or a zero, you're like, oh no, that's gonna take forever to get around, and things like that. And I'll tell you what, when, the day that we got a cordless phone in my house, you would've thought we were in technology heaven. I mean, you don't have a cord? And you can press buttons? <gasps> Joy. And now we got cell phones that are smarter than us. And so, you know, it's just part of every day. There, there's these things that they take for granted. And I bring this up because we kick off this Christmas season celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And it made me think how much we take for granted. The biggest thing we take for granted is Jesus himself. Here we are 2,000 years after his birth, death, and resurrection, and those are just realities to us. Those are givens. That's been the reality for us. Jesus has always been around for us, for our, our generations. But I want you to think about that there was a time when there was no Jesus. There was no manger. There was no cross. There was no empty tomb. God had not become a man. God had not provided salvation and forgiveness of sins yet. But think about that. Think about the fact that there are actually thousands more years of history without Jesus than there is with. Imagine living in the times when there is no Jesus. The greatest thing that we take for granted doesn't yet exist. But during those dark times, God did not leave his people without hope. Throughout those dark times, God gave promises of what was to come. Now, he didn't just 
blurt everything out all at once during the period of written revelation, he gave pieces to the puzzle here and there about what he was doing in human history. And all those pieces came together on Christmas Day with Emmanuel, God, with us. What we take for granted was an amazing fulfillment of the promises given to those who waited in hope. And so this Christmas season, I want us to look at some of the pieces of the puzzle, some of the promises that were given so we can gain a fuller understanding of what those people look forward to and now what we look back toward so we have a better understanding of Christ, his person, his work, as well as, I pray, we have a greater appreciation of Christ himself and stop taking him for granted. And so, you know, we, we're going to look at different passages to see how this Emmanuel was prophesied in the times prior to Christmas. And today we want to look in Genesis 3. We want to see how from the beginning God said he was going to send one who would be his offspring who would bring victory over our enemies. And so I want to read verses 8 through 15 of Genesis chapter 3. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these verses. This happens after the fall. And it says that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The man replied, I heard you moving about in the orchard and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman replied, the serpent tricked me and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse all the cattle and all the living creatures of the field. On your belly you will crawl and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you so much that you didn't just leave us on our own in a fallen state in a sinful world, but Lord, you made the way and right from the beginning, you prophesied what you were going to do to bring us back to yourself. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. And we just lift this up in prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So today we're starting right at the beginning. God created a universe in anticipation and preparation for humanity, the only ones created in his image. God formed humanity and placed them in the paradise on earth and giving them charge that they are to increase, they are to multiply, they are to go out and take dominion and subdue the rest of the world. They were to be God's representative in creation. And God gave them one rule to follow. Do not eat from the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Satan, the serpent, came along and tempted Eve. And so what did they do? They did the one thing God told them not to do. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sin and rebellion was introduced into mankind. And so it seemed 
that, well, the serpent accomplished everything that he set out to do. He accomplished everything that he desired. God's creation was now separated from their creator. They were to endure the consequences of their rebellion. Instead of life, there was death. Instead of hope, there was despair. Instead of relationship with God, now there was a hostility between man and God. You know, God had every right to just turn us over. God had every right to let us reap the consequences of our choices. Humanity's existence, as short as it was up to that point, it seemed that it ended in defeat. The serpent seemingly had won the earth and won humanity along with it, and he was going to rule and reign. But in verse 15, God declares to the serpent and to humanity that he has other plans. He was not going to give up. God was not going to give up on his creation. God was not going to give up on the ones that were created in his image. God was going to intervene. And so what these verses is, you know, talk about, especially verse 15, they, we want to see what they tell us about God's plan and then how this ties in with Emmanuel being prophesied. And so we're looking, especially in verse 15, first we see that there is a need for a victor. We need a champion. The world needed a champion because humanity willingly rebelled against their creator. They willingly rebelled against God. You know, they were handed over to the consequences of their choices. And they did have to, they themselves were cursed. I didn't read, you know, the rest of the chapter. I stopped at 15, but we know that God told Adam the curse that was to fall on him. God told Eve the curse that was to fall on her. And all of these had repercussions, not only for them, but for their descendants and the rest of creation as well. This, this had dire consequences of the relationship between humanity and God. Because after sinning, not only were Adam and Eve going to physically die, but they were spiritually dead and they were spiritually opposed to God. Mankind could not do anything to fix it. Mankind could not do anything to bridge the gap that they had created, they were left over to their curses. The world was cursed, humanity was cursed, well, the serpent is cursed, but now they're in a hostile relationship with God. Humanity needed someone outside of themselves to come and get over those hurdles. They needed someone else to come and fix things, and God was going to be the one to do it. God was not going to give up on humanity, but they had to reap the consequences of their sin. And not only the curses that were given to Adam and Eve, but the curse that was given to the serpent actually has ramifications, ramifications uh, for humanity themselves. And so we read in verse 15 that there's going to be endless hostility between humanity and the serpent because verse 15 says that God is going to put hostility between the woman and the serpent, between her offspring and his offspring, and there was going to be war because God was not going to allow humanity to remain under the thumb, so to speak, of the serpent. Although now after I say that, serpents don't have thumbs, but you know what I mean. They were not, he was not going to let them still be under the influence of the serpent. He was going 
to save them. I mean, God could have just handed humanity over. You know, I'm, you, you know what, serpent? You want them that bad? You can have them. And just let us be the devil's slaves. But he didn't. Yet due to the rebellion, he, he's a just God. He had to do something about sin, and so he had to leave humanity here on earth. But he said there's going to be constant war. One of the consequences of our sin is constant battle. We have, are in war. And while the serpent and the woman, he says, would be in hostility, it also says that their seed, depending on your translation, or their offspring would be hostile toward one another as well. The generations that were to come would be at war with one another. But now when you think about it, you know, it says that the seed or the offspring of the serpent against the seed or the offspring of the woman, you know, the, the serpent, the devil, Satan, he couldn't procreate. And so what it's talking about is those who belong to Satan on a spiritual level. There would be those who would spiritually belong to the serpent and then there would be those who spiritually belonged to the woman and the one who would come through the woman sent by God. And those are the people of faith, the offspring of faith versus those who are the people or the offspring of unbelief. God was saying that through the woman, he was going to have a chosen lineage that would lead to a chosen person that would belong, bring people to belong to God again. And that chosen lineage would be at war with the lineage of the serpent. So, we read in the Bible how God set up this lineage, starting with the woman and moving from there. You know, sometimes you read through the Old Testament and you come to these genealogies and you, you're like, you just feel like skipping over all of it because one, some of the names you can't even barely pronounce anyway, and two, it's just so repetitive. So-and-so begat so-and-so when they were so-and-so years old, and then they lived so many more years, and they had other sons and daughters, and then, you know, they, then they died, and then this person, and that. It, it gets boring, but what you are reading is God's fulfillment of the promise. Here is the chosen lineage. Here are the offspring of the woman. This is the chosen people. This is the offspring. And so... That is the lineage of faith, but then the serpent has his offspring, his seed, those who belong to him, those who are of unbelief. The idolaters, the pagans, even the hard-hearted religious people, they belong to the serpent. Anyone who is opposed to God and his people are the lineage, the descendants, the seed of the serpent. They're opposed to God, they're opposed to his people, and they, they, they are against the offspring of the woman, and these two sides would constantly be in conflict. We would constantly be at war. And the, it still rages today. You think about the, all the examples that the Bible gives of the conflict. You think of, say for example, Pharaoh in Egypt, seed, offspring of the serpent, who had enslaved and were against the seed, the offspring of the woman, the Jews, and everything that Pharaoh in Egypt did to them. If you think in more modern times, maybe, you have gover the government of China who is opposed to biblical Christianity and will either imprison or kill those who follow Christ, who follow Scripture, and that is the serpent, the descendant of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent, the government of China against the offspring 
of the woman. Or maybe to make it more personal, maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have a coworker who despises you because of your stand on the Bible, your stand for Christ, and biblical values. They are the offspring of the serpent, and they are continuing that war that God said would happen between the two sides. You know, when you read that, that either Jesus or maybe John uh, the Baptist calls someone, you brood of vipers, you offspring of Satan, he's just recognizing them for who they are. The battle continues, but the question is, will this war ever end? Will there ever be a time when humanity doesn't have to do battle? Is humanity doomed to this endless cycle of wrestling with the devil as well as being under God's just condemnation? Because humanity is too weak to win the war on their own. So is there someone who can bring victory to humanity to get them beyond this constant conflict that we're going to be in and rebuild, and someone who can rebuild the lost relationship with God. Well, God made a way. So as much as we see the need for a victor, secondly, in verse 15, we see the provision of a victor. God provides his champion. God provides the one who will lead us to victory. And so I mentioned that the offspring of the woman would be the lineage of faith, but then that lineage would lead to one specific person, one specific offspring, one specific seed. God had one particular person in mind, and ultimately the serpent and his offspring would be at war with him and then with his people. And so the lineage would follow from Eve to Seth to Noah to Abraham to David down the line until God's champion for humanity was born. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. Because God brought forth the one who would give victory to those that were lost and would reconcile humanity to God. Jesus Christ is that offspring. Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. He's later called the offspring and seed of Abraham because through him all the world would be blessed. Jesus Christ is our victor. Jesus Christ is our champion. And verse 15 prophesies what he is going to do. Now, it says in, at the end of verse 15 that the serpent would strike the heel of this offspring. The serpent would do something to strike at this offspring, at this champion, but it would only be temporary because an injury to a heel normally is not deadly. And, and so, uh, you know, a, a strike to the heel is a temporary setback. You don't usually die from a heel injury. And, and so the serpent was going to do something that was temporary to this offspring, this seed. But then there's a promise given that this offspring of the woman would strike the head of the serpent. Now a headshot is deadly. It is the final blow. And so God was prophesying all the way back then that he would send a champion who would make the final defeat of the serpent and his offspring finally defeat them and they would not have the victory. The serpent would not win. He, now he might have temporary victories in the battle, but ultimately the serpent would not win. And what is so interesting is that the strike that the serpent would give against the heel 
of the offspring actually would bring about the strike to his own head. That would bring about his ultimate defeat because think about this. The Bible says that Satan entered into Judas to betray Jesus. So then the events, you know, the line of events that would happen that would lead to his death would, would occur. Satan entered into Judas to make these events occur because the serpent wanted Jesus dead, thinking that once the Son of God is dead, he has free reign over humanity. Humanity is mine, the serpent thought. I am going to rule and reign continuously over this world and over these people. And he didn't think that anyone could stop him. Little did he know that he had a part in his own doom. So yes, the prophesied victor, champion, Jesus Christ was crucified and he died. But it was through that crucifixion and death that Jesus took the punishment for sin and rebellion and saved humanity and brought about the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The, the debt has been paid in full. Everything has been done to save humanity and the door was flung open wide for humanity to return to God. And to make sure we understood that, this champion, this victor, this offspring did not stay dead, but God raised him from the dead to demonstrate that his sacrifice had been accepted. All authority in heaven and earth was given to him and taken, rested out of the hands of the serpent. You know, the Bible tells us that by his death, Jesus took the keys to death and hell from the serpent, meaning he took away power and authority from the serpent, and the serpent no longer has power or authority over humanity. Paul says that Jesus paraded the serpent and his demons in front of all of creation to show that he was defeated. And Revelation tells us that the serpent and all of his offspring are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They are defeated foes. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We have that victory because Emmanuel, God, came to be with us. God sent a champion, one who is both God and man. Right from the beginning, God prophesied he, he would send a champion. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. God sent the offspring of the woman who would defeat humanity's greatest enemy. And if you believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, you are part of that victory. You are part of his victory because God is now our father. He is no longer our enemy. The serpent no longer has a grip on us and death no longer has the final say. Yes, we still die physically but we don't die spiritually and we have the promise that we are going to be raised because we had a champion who brought it about. That is what Christmas is all about. Now, what are some lessons that we can take from this passage? Well, one, we just need to always remember because it says it right here at the beginning of the Bible, we are always gonna be at war. While we are on this earth, we are going to always be at war. Jesus is our champion who saves us from sin, death, the devil, but as long as we are still journeying on this earth, we are going to have struggles. We are going to have battles. The conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman is still going on. It's far from over. And so when we have come to Christ, though, we know that ultimately we have the victory. Yes, 
the serpent might strike at our heel in many different ways while we're here on this earth. But we remember that Jesus Christ crushed his head. And he no longer has the ultimate victory. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that, this, that we're wrestling. We're in a battle. We're wrestling. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against rulers and powers and spiritual forces of evil that want, us, that want to make us ineffective on this earth but cannot do us ultimate harm. But he tells us, put on the whole armor of God because you're in war. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand firm. And so the logical conclusion is if we don't put on the whole armor of God, even though he will not get the ultimate victory over us, he's just going to keep knocking us down. He's going to keep pushing us around. Yes, we have eternal victory, but if we're not ready for battle, we're not going to experience a whole lot of spiritual victory on this earth. But if we trust Christ and we put on the armor, we can see a lot of victory on this earth. This isn't a blanket promise that there's not going to be adversity. There's always going to be adversity. There's always going to be lots of adversity. The question is, what is going to be the outcome of that adversity? Is it going to knock us out of the battle? Or is it, or is it going to give us a stronger resolve when we come out on the other side? We're going to always be in battle. We can't think that somehow we can sneak through this earth and just kind of mosey along with our lives thinking that, that you know, we're not part of the battle. That might be the, the battle. We just think, you know what, if I keep my head low, I keep quiet, I stay out of the way, then I don't have to deal with that. Well, you know what, if that's your thought, let me keep low, let me stay out of the way, then Satan won't notice me. Well, he actually did and he just knocked you out of the battle. You're not going to do anything great in the name of Jesus Christ. If it, only when you do battle. Only when you stand side by side with the champion and do battle will you see great things done. Great victories won. You know, one author said, he is a foolish dreamer who expects an easy and bloodless victory for any noble plan. But yet success waits before every good cause if it can only persevere and struggle on with its wounded heel. Yeah, we're going to get struck. The, the serpent's going to strike at our heels. But we have a victor. We have a champion. We can't think, though, that, that we can really enjoy the victory if we don't do battle. I mean, like that author said, you're foolish if you expect an easy, bloodless victory. It's got to be hard, it's hard fought. But we put on the armor and we persevere knowing that ultimately our champion crushed the head of the enemy. You know, usually we think of Christmas as a time of peace and hope and love and, and joy, and it is. And our victor was born to give us that peace, hope, love, and joy, but we have an enemy who wants to steal our peace, hope, love, and joy. And if we want to have that peace, hope, love, and joy, it is hard fought. We fight for it. Otherwise, it's taken from us. We rejoice in the victor, we, but we, re, we join him in the battle. And there's always going to be a battle, but the, the second quick lesson that we get from this passage is we need to remember that we have the greatest news to share because this world needs to hear that there is victory. This people, I mean, not Christians, 
but everybody is beat up by, by this world. They are tired, they are worn out, and they have no hope if they have no Christ because they have no champion, they have no victor. And they need to hear, there is a champion who crushed the head of the serpent. You know, Genesis 3.15 is often called the Proto-Evangelium, which is Latinish for the first gospel. It is the first declaration of the good news of God that he was gonna send a deliverer to humanity who would strike at and destroy the serpent and all of his works. And so, yeah, you know what? In Genesis 3, there's no angels, there's no shepherds, there's no manger. I mean, there's a serpent and a couple of humans, and yet Christmas was declared on that day. Emmanuel, God with us, the offspring of the woman, would come and crush the head of your enemy. Yes, the serpent deceived, yes, humanity rebelled, yes, sin and death became a reality, and yet the offspring of the woman would reverse it all. Would reverse it all. The good news is that Satan already lost. His fate is sealed. Now, unfortunately, humanity joins him in his rebellion. But the difference with humanity is that our fates do not need to be sealed. On Christmas Day, born of a virgin, the God-man was born to die for humanity so that those who believe in him will have hope and joy and peace and love that will never be taken away from them. That is the news. You can have peace, hope, joy, love that will never be taken from you if you're in Jesus Christ. As one author poetically put it, when God wanted to save the world, he didn't send a committee, he sent his son. When God wanted to say, I love you, he wrapped his love note in swaddling cloths. When God wanted to crush Satan, he started in a stable in Bethlehem. The, the manger and everything, that what the kids are gonna do tonight is telling us that there is a victorious offspring who brings us the victory over, over, over our greatest enemies. And that news is to be shared. That's not news that we keep to ourselves. That is news that we share with the world. Jesus Christ brings victory. And so we celebrate him at this time. I conclude with this thought. Now, I love Christmas hymns, so I'm loving singing all these hymns. One of my favorites is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it, you know, if you ever look in a hymnal, there's only three verses in there. But Charles Wesley wrote five verses, and the fourth verse actually had our passage in mind. And so this is what it says. Just imagine the music, because there ain't no way I'm singing it. So, staying in my lane. I, I know where I'm at. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power, ruin nature, now restore. Now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king, the victorious offspring, seed of the woman who gives us the victory. Christian, come to the altar today and give glory to the newborn king, our victor, our champion, the one who gave us the victory. Maybe you're fighting a hard battle Come to the altar and seek strength from the champion. But if you're not in Christ, 
If you've never trusted in Christ, you are still the seed, the offspring of the serpent. Come to Christ and find victory over sin, find victory over death, find victory over the serpent, and you will be removed from his kingdom of darkness and placed into God's kingdom of light. That is Emmanuel prophesied in the scriptures. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.